Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, the owner of Townsend Family Law and an experienced family law lawyer practicing in all areas of divorce law in the city of Toronto. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, our topic is co-parenting in the family home or nesting. And I'm really excited to have with me a guest who's been on the podcast before. Uh, she was a wealth of information the last time she was on. So I'm really excited to have her back. Uh, her name is Beth Behrendt. Behrendt, I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, Beth has written a book on nesting after divorce, and she's here today to discuss her book and share a little bit about her experience. So welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you, Leanne. Very nice to be here and good to talk with you again. Thank you. Why don't we start um, by having you refresh listeners' memories a little bit about your story and um, your you know, experience that led to nesting and sort of some background information there. Sure, sure. No problem. Um, my ex and I decided to get divorced um, when we'd been married about 18 years. And we had three children who were 12, 9, and 4 at the time. We knew we wanted to get divorced, but we were, I think, like most people, really scared about what that would mean for our kids. And um, we didn't really know a lot of people who were divorced. So we just kind of had the mindset of, you know, the traditional thing that you just split everything up and, you know, kind of never deal with each other again. And and neither of us liked that. And I happened to run across um, a mention of nesting. So this was like nine years ago. There's a lot more out there now on nesting or bird nesting co-parenting. But at the time I had never even heard of it, but I saw the mention of it about keeping the kids in the family home and it's the parents who take the turns moving in and out. And um, I immediately thought that just sounded fantastic for us. And fortunately, Bill agreed. And so we um, started doing it, you know, a little bit on a trial basis, but we have kept with it now these nine years and we have one kid who's been away at college and another one about to go to college. Um, and in the meantime, I am a freelance writer, so I've written about lots of things, but I decided to share about our nesting story. And that led eventually to um, the opportunity to write a book about it. And so I tell my own story, but I also in the book um, talk with five other nesting families and talk about their different approaches, which are um, quite different <laughs> than mine. And so that was really cool to learn about. And also in the book, I talked to some mental health professionals and attorney mediators and some financial professionals, too, to kind of give readers um, some of the issues that you might want to you know, be aware of if you're considering nesting. Now, in case there's some listeners out uh, there who perhaps missed um, the first uh, interview that we did, can you explain to everyone what nesting is exactly? Yeah, um, it's based on like the idea of the baby birds staying in the nest and the mommy and daddy bird flying in and out is where the word comes from. Um, so the kids stay in the family home all the time and the parents find a way to um, generally they are not both in the family home at the same time. They take turns moving in and out of the house to parent the kids. Um, people do it different ways. In our case, we rented an apartment near the house that we would take turns moving in and out of that apartment. So we were never in the apartment at the same time or the house at the same time, but that was where each of us went when we weren't parenting in the home. Um, but the, you know, the main focus of it, however you decide to do it is that the kids just stay with their 
stuff. You don't have to duplicate things for two different households. The kids have the same routine every day. They're in the same place all the time. They don't have to keep track of their stuff. And so that's kind of the driving force for it is the consistency for the kids as they're growing up. I'm sure there's some people out there listening who, when they hear this, they think there is absolutely no way that I would want to do an arrangement like that with my ex. So what are some of the advantages of doing it? Why why should someone possibly consider this as a suitable arrangement for their family? Well, I certainly, you know, understand that concern and um, and it is a challenge. I guess what you have to think about is what you want the impact of the divorce to be on your children. And if there is a way that you and your ex can um, get past or um, perhaps set aside your differences while you're parenting and folk and both agree to focus on keeping life consistent for the kids. Um, I think there's lots of ways you can make it work. And even people who, you know, are pretty contentious or really don't like each other types of divorces, um, which my ex and I were in for a while. I mean, frankly, probably the first year was really super hard. Um, but we had both decided we were going to try and make nesting work. And so you find ways to, you know, not overlap in the house at the same time, set up strict guidelines about who's in the house, what the responsibilities are, what sort of, you know, privacy you might need to set up. Um, And so it definitely takes some, you know, some thought, but it also is a lot of work to set up two entirely separate households and shuttle kids back and forth between them. And so I don't think one is necessarily easier than the other. It's just, you know, what kind of uh, challenges you think you can, can deal with or are worth dealing with. Um, to you as you're divorcing. What made you decide to write the book? Um, First of all, the book is called um, Nesting After Divorce. Is that right? Right, right. Co-parenting in the family home is the subtitle. And um, I, I guess what started me thinking about it was that when I was trying to figure out nesting for us, and, you know, my ex was helping, but I would say I was the driving force and trying to figure out all the logistics and um, financial stuff and guidelines. And I wish I would have had something to read, you know, to give me some idea of what I should even be thinking about or what are some different ways to do things. And so the more people I talked to who were nesting, you know, the more ways I learned about the different ways that people do it. And um, and I thought, you know, just I would really like to in- encourage people who are divorcing with kids to think about nesting as a possibility. And so I hope this can be a resource for them, you know, whether they're committed or not. I think it helps you think through, you know, how it could work. And um, maybe it's something you even just want to do temporarily as you're kind of sorting out the logistics of what the divorce is going to be like. And then um, you don't have to, you know, stick with it for so long like we did. Now, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that uh, some of the, well, the families that you interviewed for your book uh, some of them had you know, quite different or differences in their nesting arrangement from what you had. Can you explain a little bit about that? Because I think when people think of nesting, um, they probably think of the model that you explained. So what are some of the other alternatives out there um, that perhaps you've written about in your book? Yeah, one um, family, and I've, you've interviewed her, Suzanne Bickberg is her name. And what they actually ended up doing was building a small addition onto their house. And 
So when she's not on her parenting time, she sort of has this door to the main house that she can close off and she goes there and then she opens the door when it is her time to parent. And so she really has kind of stayed in the nest. But again, their driving force was that they wanted to keep their kids in the family home and keep life consistent for them. So that's a very creative way. Um, another family I know, they um, they live, one person lives with family when she's not in the house. The other one goes to a condo that they used to own, you know, before that they'd been renting out. Um, some people stay with friends. And then some people, you know, have moved on to another relationship. And so they live with their new significant other when they're not parenting and then, you know, just come into the family home when they are on parenting duty. Um, but I've, since I wrote the book, I've learned of a family where the woman has a little um, campsite and she takes her, you know, RV out and goes and stays at the campsite when she's not in the parent in the, the main home. And I've heard of people who have, you know, like a little tiny house on some property that they have and they take turns, you know, going in and out of the tiny house. Um, so I think it, you know, just depends kind of on your resources, your creativity. Um, if, you know, if you have friends or family that you can, can take advantage of spending time with them while you sort out what really works for you. Um, most people probably have, you know, more options than they realize. What are some of the common challenges in the nesting arrangement? Yeah, I think, you know, one is explaining it to other people. <laughs> I guess in, at least in my part of the country, it's very unusual. And so you kind of have to, um, you know, prepare yourself for uh, having to explain it and then the different reactions you get. Um, but just between the two of you or your family, there's challenges that you probably dealt with when you're married that you're still going to be dealing with, especially, you know, if you have different standards about how clean the kitchen should be or, you know, what sort of food the kids eat. And so a lot of people work out, you know, some guidelines about that. Dating can be an issue. I would say, I think dating was actually easier because we were nesting, but what a lot of nesters do is set up some, um, you know, either in their legal agreement or just an agreement between the two of them that another person can't come into the family home. Um, some people say, you know, like for the first year or until both parents, you know, to the other parent has met the new person. Um, there's a lot of thought that people give into how might a new dating partner, you know, be incorporated into the scenario without upsetting the sort of uh, balance of the kids being in the family home. And so I think that takes a little extra thought, but it isn't impossible. Just take some thought. Yeah, I think it would be, I, I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking of my, even myself as someone who's divorced, if I met someone and they were living still, you know, in the family home with their ex in a nesting arrangement. I mean, I think I would probably be okay with it just because I understand it. And I deal so much in, you know, with divorcing couples, um, but, you know, I could see how some people might have a hard time because there's people out there who don't even want to date someone if there's they could somebody could have been separated for like eight years and they're really <laughs> separated. They just haven't bothered to get a divorce and people get upset about that in the dating world. So yeah. I can I can only see, you know, some people having an issue with this, but then they're not the right person. Right. That's the other. Exactly. Piece. That's what I felt like. I, I felt it was very important to be clear from the beginning, like even the first date or the first conversation about what I was doing and that, um, you know, there, it was in no way about trying to 
get back together with my ex or prolong our marriage. It was solely about the focus on the kids. And, um, you know, I felt like that, you know, ultimately I wanted somebody who was willing to support me and my focus on my kids, um, be willing to, you know, be a little bit flexible or, or be understanding about it. And so I think it was, it was a good way to kind of, uh, weed out people <laughs> quickly, you know, if they were willing to even think about it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge to date, um, when you're divorced, but, uh, you know, it's good to be as open as possible about what your priorities are. For sure. And I mean, I think it's, it's a sad reflection that so many people out there think that you have to hate your ex. So, you know, God forbid that you actually don't hate your ex and you're able to have this type of arrangement and it works and you could be, you know, friendly, you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to be friends, but uh, you know, a lot of people seem to have a hard time understanding, you know, not hating your ex. And I think that's too bad for, you know, a lot of children out there. For sure. And it's really too bad for people too, because as my ex has said, you know, even though we went through our rough times, he was like, oh, it took a lot more energy, like to be mad at you than it does for us now to get along and, you know, be cooperative. And so, I and I love the example that we've set for our kids too. You know, I think hating each other forever just isn't really a great message for kids. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so, how has this arrangement affected your relationship with your ex-husband? Has it made it better, worse? Had it has it had any impact? Yeah, it has for sure made it better. Um, I think that when we decided to get divorced, we both realized that the problems in our marriage were impacting our ability to parent, you know, it was taking energy away from our parenting. And so I think we both felt once we got into this state of that we were parenting without the other person, that it was so much more rewarding. And I felt like I was such a better mother. And so once that sort of knocking heads over the marriage stuff was out of the picture, then we could focus on the focus on parenting the kids. And I think it made it easier in some ways because we had just the consistency of the kids being in the nest. We didn't have any stresses of, you know, who has their stuff or who does this or where's this thing that the kid needs. Um, but we still really enjoyed parenting together. And as I said, initially things were kind of, you know, were tough like most divorces and we really tried to communicate, you know, just by like email or text and and not be in person with each other very much. But when you're nesting, inevitably, it's just easier to, you know, come into the house and stand and talk to the person about what's coming up this next week that I need to know about, or, you know, the kitchen sinks you know, is leaking or, you know, whatever, like, here's the kids stuff that they have to deal with. And just to talk in person about it is easier than, you know, sending all these emails and texting or things getting misconstrued. And so we just found it got easier and easier to be around each other. And, um, you know, we were trying to make a point to be together with like family events for the kids, but I think it was the day-to-day interaction or weekly interaction that made it much easier for us just to be around each other and um, made it easier to cooperate. What made you decide to write the book now? Because you've been, you know, in this arrangement for quite a while now. So why the book now? I think the first few years, it was really just, I was 
you know, a lot of energy into nesting and parenting. And then the kids got a little bit older. And then I started really connecting with other nesters and learning about what they had done. And I also felt like now that I was much further down the road, I could look back, you know, a little more objectively about what we had done well or not done well. And, um, and hopefully, you know, share that advice. I think if I'd written this book, you know, two years into it, I didn't really know how things were going to play out, you know, what really was working well or not working well. And so now I guess it was like seven years when I started the book that you have a pretty good idea by then, of, you know, and the kids have changed a lot in seven years, of course. So you see a lot of things that you couldn't even have predicted going into it. Do your children ever get like flack from, you know, other kids uh, who's maybe their parents have said something about the arrangement or do, do they ever you know, get any negative feedback or has it been pretty much positive? No, I think in a lot of cases, I think their friends may not even know that we're divorced because, you know, they just come over to the house and come over whenever, you know, they come over whenever they want and Bill is here or I'm here. And I don't think the kids really pay that much attention. I think the parents that know have said, you know, complimentary stuff about it. Like, wow, that's really an evolved approach or whatever. And so, um, I have never heard them feel awkward about what other kids have said to them. I mean, maybe they get some like, oh, that's weird. But um, but then they're always coming to the same house. And, you know, my kids are never stressed out about anything like divorce related. So um, so, no, I think they're kind of just uh, neutral to it, if anything, you know, as kids are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and it sounds like obviously it's been a overall extremely positive and beneficial for your kids. So. Um, that's why I was just curious if there've been any, you know, negative reaction from anyone, but it's good yeah. that there, there hasn't been, would you say that nesting is right for every divorcing family? Well, certainly not. And I say this pretty early on in the book, you know, I think there's certain you know, red flags where it's not, um, of course, if you're dealing with any kind of abuse situation or, you know, um, addictions to addictions um, that need to be addressed, you know, before you attempt something like nesting, or if the kids are not comfortable being alone with one parent. Um, And so those are kind of, you know, red flags that it's, it's, there are other issues that have to be addressed before you'd even consider nesting. Um, But I think, I mean, I actually strongly believe that a lot more people could do it if they just, um, thought about it a little bit, or if they um, were aware of it, I still encounter people who, you know, have no idea what it is. And so, so that was kind of my you know mission behind the book was just to let people know about it and consider it as an option, you know, or if, if it's not nesting, I think people should just think a little bit about the box beyond what you mentioned, where it's just, oh, divide everything up and hate each other forever. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, there's, there's other gradations of, of how you can do it. Yeah. And that's um, what I loved about my conversation with uh, Suzanne Vickberg, who you had connected with me was her whole point was, you know, you can design your own divorce. It doesn't have to follow the box that everyone thinks it needs to follow. You can design it to, you know, be however you want it to be. And I think that's a great message. And certainly what you're doing as well falls into that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's, um, there are definitely different ways to do it than what has been kind of the common thing for so long. 
Now, I would think that in order for this type of arrangement to be successful, that having really clear boundaries and you know rules surrounding privacy uh, and that sort of thing would be really important. So what are some of the things there that people should keep in mind? Yeah, I think, you know, of course, you um, you know the other person best and whether this means that it's something you need to, you know, work out with your attorney um, or if it's something that you just feel the two of you can come to agreement on. But certainly you want to feel that when you are in the family home, you know, that your stuff is safe and not going to be, you know, gone through when you're not there. And, you know, whether that means that you put a lock on your bedroom door or your closet um, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, that's one approach or just, you know, really um, outline that there's certain spaces in the home that are off off limits to the other person, um, which is really what we did. It was kind of like I had this guest bedroom and he had the master bedroom and like, we don't, nothing, we don't go in those places and we make a point of clearing kind of our personal stuff from the rest of the house, you know, before the next person comes in. Um, but then probably like any other divorce, there's a lot of learning to mind your own business more than you used to when you were married and, you know, not asking questions about dating life, you know, that you don't, unless there's some reason, you know, you need to know, you know, it affects the kids somehow, but otherwise you don't need to be in each other's business. Um, and that can be kind of a challenge just, uh, cause it's how, it may be different from how you operated before. But um, I think if you have, um, you know, particular concerns about privacy that um, you may want to speak to your attorney as you're setting up a nesting agreement or your separation agreement about how to um, to make sure that things are secure between the, you know, in your own space. Now, in your case, did you do you have like we mentioned a nesting agreement? So do you have a specific legal document that sets out? you know, the terms or the, you know, the procedures that you guys are following, or is there something you guys drafted yourself or is there nothing that's written down? Um, In our case, we had kind of a standard, you know, divorce settlement. That's pretty much, we live in the state of Indiana. And so it was kind of just, you know, follows the guidelines from the state of Indiana. Probably the only thing different in that legal document is that my attorney did put in that if we decided to end nesting, you know, there had to be a 30 day notice to the other person. There had to be agreement about how the house would be sold. Like he didn't want either of us to end up in the situation where the other person is just like, no, I'm done. And, you know, and it, you you need a little you know amount of time to adjust to that. But I know some people do actually put in more specific stuff about their nesting agreement with their attorney. Um, we did not, I guess, partly because we didn't really know for sure what the issues were going to be. So we had stuff that we had written down between the two of us that we shared with our attorneys, you know, just to get their feedback on like, does this seem reasonable? But, um, but it wasn't something, you know, that was in the official agreement. And that had to do with like what time you would come into the house, what you expected the house to look like, like what sort of groceries you expected to be there when you showed up. And so it wasn't really like exactly legal or financial, but it was things that we both felt we had to spell out to make nesting, you know, go fairly smoothly at first. Now, do you see nesting is something that um, is more of a short-term arrangement or a long-term arrangement? I know in your case, obviously it's it's been a long-term arrangement, but in your research and, you know, speaking to other families, have you found, you know, 
that it's more often used as a short-term thing or really no, no, no difference that way? Um, you know, I can't tell for sure. I'd say the attorneys I spoke to thought that their um, experience was more often it was used as kind of like a one-year thing to um, ease into the next step of what the divorce was going to be. Um, I have a Facebook group. It's a private group, um, but if people want to join it, if they're interested in nesting, it's called, they can just search for family nesting and then they'll get an invitation um, to it from me. But in that group, a lot of the people have been doing it for years and hope to do it for more years. But it it kind of just, you know, depends on the family. And I would say when we went into it, I certainly, I think I would have been stunned if you'd told me that we were still doing it, you know, as the kids were in high school. Um, I But it just made sense. The longer we did it, it got easier and it seemed like more work to change it. So we just kind of kept rolling with it. And I will say, I think it helped too, that we both found partners, significant others who have been very supportive of it. And so I think we both feel like our lives, oh, sorry, that was my dog. I feel like our lives are, um, you know, quite complete and we still are able to make nesting work. So that's really nice. Are you aware of like other resources out there for people who are interested in nesting or, you know, looking to... I don't know if there's like a community, uh, you know, a support community or, or whatever, but are there, can you let listeners know a little bit about what other resources might be sure. available? Well, I think the only community I know of is this one on Facebook, Family Nesting, um, that I started years ago, and it has about 500 people in it now. There's at least one other book. I think the other one is called Parents Guide to Bird Nesting. In my book, I list some resources from different, you know, different websites, but really it's so different than when I was trying to figure it out. Like you can Google nesting co-parenting and, and you'll find some great resources from Psychology Today or Divorce Magazine or different law firms even are, you know, setting up little like guidelines to nesting. And so, um, so there's a lot out there and people can go to my website, which is familynesting.org and connect with me. I'm happy to, you know, answer questions or they can get to the the Facebook group through that. So I think that there's, you know, a fair amount out there, but I welcome, you know, questions from people if they feel like they're not finding what they're wondering about. Well, I think it's such a great arrangement because it's so child focused. So can you tell listeners, you know, some specific examples of how it has benefited your family? Probably because the kids have just had this consistency, you know, they've never lived anywhere else except this home or their own bedrooms until the oldest went away to college, um, that I think the divorce really has hardly impacted them. And in fact, early a couple of years into it, they were seeing a therapist because I wanted sort of a neutral party, you know, as we were going through all this to to for them to talk to and to give me feedback. And she said to me after she'd seen them for a while that they were the first kids she'd ever encountered in her practice who were children of divorce, but never mentioned the divorce as being something that was stressful in their lives. And she said, I, I think I can only credit, you know, the fact that you're nesting for that because every other kid I've ever counseled, you know, divorce is stressful to them. And um, so I don't know if our kids really quite, you know, realize that they've had that um that benefit, but, you know, I know they have, and that makes me happy. And then I think the benefit to our family has been as well that we don't have the stress of our marital problems anymore. 
And I think we just really enjoy each other and enjoy our family time. And I think we've set a good example for our kids about, you know, getting getting to a difficult situation, but kind of working through it creatively and getting to a place that's good, you know, for each of each of us and makes us good parents too. That's great. Are there any financial implications that parent people should be aware of or parents should be aware of if they're considering nesting? Yeah, there's, you know, of course, um, a lot when you're getting divorced that you need to sort of set, figure out relating to co-parenting. Um, but the way nesting kind of plays into that, and this also is kind of surprised me because I will say that it was a factor for us when we decided to nest that we just didn't see how we could right at that time afford to set up two different houses. We thought we're going to have to sell this house and move to two smaller houses. And who knows if we can even stay in this school district, you know, like it was very stressful. And so when we realized we could just keep this house and to rent a small one bedroom apartment, you know, it was an extra expense, but it was much cheaper than setting up a whole second house with more furniture and clothing and all the kids, the stuff that kids need. So I think a lot of people go into it because it is a little financially less um, of a commitment than moving into the two household approach to um, you know support the kids because that one bedroom apartment the kids never came there I didn't have to have anything to support them you know we had just the basics to support one grown up um, but you would need to you know talk about of course the house ownership what's going to make sense some people continue to own it jointly. Um, some people, you know, put it in one or the other person's name and have the other person, you know, figure out some kind of rent payment, if that makes sense. Um, and then there's the more, you know, minor things like groceries. How are you going to split the groceries? How are you going to split things that are related to, you know, if there's a, um, if you have to have a contractor come into the house to fix something, or if you need, you know, who's going to pay for the snow being shoveled or what, you know, whatever home related issues you have, that all kind of needs to be hammered out. And in my book, I think after talking to everybody I talked to that I have a pretty, some pretty complete list of questions to ask yourself and things to consider. And, um, and so, yeah, the finances are certainly a part of it, but I think it can, you may find that it saves you money in the long run over the two separate houses. Yeah, it seems like it it would definitely save, you know, most people money. Um, but I agree with you. I think, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of couples, one of the big issues in the marriage is fighting about money. So in order to prevent, you know, further conflict, um, it would be very important to have it clearly spelled out who's paying for what or how, what the portions are, and Mm -hmm. probably have it in, you know, a separation agreement or, you know, some sort of document where it's crystal clear, um, so that, you know, their issues don't come up. Um, I'm wondering, again, like, I don't know if you're prepared to comment on this with your specific situation, or if you just want to make a general comment about the families you've seen, but in this type of situation, do people still pay spousal and child support, or is it just expenses are just shared on some level? So that issue doesn't even have to be addressed. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you understand this better than I do, but I think it probably depends on the differences in income between each parent and what the child support guidelines are for where they live. Um, in our case, I was, you know, a freelance writer and basically a stay-at-home mom. And so that, you know, adjusted the percentage that I was going to be contributing to things. Um, 
What we did begin to do, though, and I talk about this in the book, a number of people have done that, is that you start to sort of adjust, um, almost like give financial compensation for the amount of time that I do parenting that Bill can't do because of his full-time job. And so we kind of keep track of hours that I spend, you know, taking the kids to doctors or dealing with house contractors or or whatever that um, he doesn't have the time to do, but, you know, we're both, our family's benefiting from the activity. And so, so, you know, there are ways to be creative about who's doing different types of labor that are, are related to the, um, the family. Um, but yeah, I think that it probably depends a lot on how the different incomes are and, uh, and yeah. what people want to continue to, you know, do for their children as they move forward. That makes sense. And I mean, it's probably very fact specific to each couple and and their situation and what works for their family. So if there's listeners out there who are interested in buying your book, which I highly recommend it, I think it sounds uh, like a fantastic wealth of information. Uh, where can they find it? Well, it's on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Um, and it should be in Barnes and Noble bookstores as well. You can go to my website, familynesting.org and see all the different, um, the links to it. Um, it can be bought from, you know, independent bookstores and um, of course requested from libraries too. So I am, um, and there's an audio version and, you know, a Kindle version as well. So that's all on Amazon or, or wherever you buy your books. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Beth. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing uh, about your book and about nesting and co-parenting in the family home. So thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks. Thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you you have to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.